Welcome to Joyful Marketing. I'm Simone Soul, and I teach you how to get your life coaching practice fully booked without having to pay for ads, buy Instagram followers, or complicated sales funnels. It's not rocket science, and you can do it too. Listen on to find out how. Hey, everybody. This is the part two of my two-part series on how to make $2 million, where I got a bunch of listener questions on how I did it, and I answer them as fast as I can, which sometimes is not so fast because I have a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> I wanted to say, if you take anything away from, from this series on making $2 million, I hope that it would be that a kind of, if not confidence, and at least a more vivid sense of possibility than ever before that this is in the cards for you. If you want it, this is in your future that your business too can be a $2 million business and beyond. And who knows? Maybe if you're a listener and you're, you've already made $2 million or you're in a place where you're close enough or you, where it feels, starts to feel inevitable. I'm hoping that. Um, my answers and these episodes will help to serve you in making your your business and your pursuit of more success and more money a joyous one and one that is really aligned with your your values and your mission in the world. So here we go. Again, part two. Kelly asks, what is the one thing that holds other people back from this kind of success? Okay, so this is a great question and I actually have two answers to this. One is that when I look around, I see people thinking too much. People think things through too much. (laughs) My philosophy is that you have to be kind of reckless, right? I took so much action that to me at the time felt reckless and looked to other people like recklessness, like I'm sharing certain things about myself or daring to take up as much space as I did, daring to air my opinions or daring to make an offer without, I don't know, evidence to back it up that, you know, I could deliver or daring to charge money when I had no experience doing that or daring to invest a lot of money in in training or, or in business coaching. And these are just, just a few examples of the many, many reckless actions that I took. You could even say that any bit of faith that you act on that you can help another person when you don't have lots and lots of experience and, and certainty that, that you will be effective at it can be kind of reckless. Like to say, I'm a life coach. I can help you. That can be reckless. Like who knows what's going to happen, right? <laughs> but. Every single coach that I know, including myself, that has built up a degree of competence, who have, who take pride in their skill, they, our skills, our experience, they're built on these piles of reckless actions. Please be as reckless as you can be. What most people do is that instead they do something and then they get overly critical and super analytical about the results. And then they spend too much, much time thinking and thinking and thinking and analyzing, dissecting. And in all the time that they just spent thinking about what just happened and what they just did, they could have just spending, they could have just spent that time taking more reckless action. So if I had a mantra, it would be the same one as Nike's. <laughs> just do it. Expect things to go horribly wrong sometimes. Like if you just do it, if you take lots of reckless actions, some of it will be amazing. Some of it will be like whatever. And some of it will go horribly wrong. Some of it will result in explosions. 
Don't spend time dissecting it in an unhelpful way. Quickly learn what you need and move on. That doesn't mean that you have to feel great about it. It doesn't mean that you don't sometimes have to slow down and lick your wounds and feel bad about yourself. All of that is par for the course. I still do it. (laughs) But listen, you got to keep moving. You got to keep taking action. You got to keep making little explosions here and there. You got to keep willing for things to blow up in your face and don't slow down. Just keep going. All right. That's the first thing. The second thing that holds other people back from this kind of success is not taking their business seriously as a business. Here's what I mean by this. I think there's something about the nature of online business, something about the nature of life coaching. It creates an expectation of success, expectation of rewards without the commensurate amount of effort or investment that would be considered completely normal in other fields or other types of businesses. So for example, I've used this analogy a lot in previous episodes. So if you're a long-time listener, you'll, you'll recognize it. But so for example, you know, if you want to be a physician, if you want to be a doctor, you take for granted that you have to go to school for like so many years, right? You have to study in your undergraduate years and you have to get the requisite credits in the, rec- in the, in the science courses, pre-med courses. And then you have to go through this grinding process to apply and to get into medical school. And then you, you go to medical school, school and you suffer for four years in a really grinding curriculum. And then if you survive medical school and then, <laughs> And then you work for, for a few more years in residency where you get paid like nothing and you're poor and you're super overworked. So basically you, you get ready. If you, the minute you want to be a doctor, you acknowledge that the road, road ahead of you is going to, you're going to be poor. You're going to be overworked. You're going to go into like lots and lots of debt, like hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt in a lot of cases because because you understand that's what it takes to become a doctor and make six-figure salaries and command the prestige and the the respect uh, and the satisfaction of knowing that you're doing very important work in society, you know, helping people to heal from illness, et cetera, all these things as doctors, right? So that is normal, right? Like even becoming a lawyer, you go, you have to take this really difficult exam. You have to do this. You have to go to law school. You have to pass the bar exam. Takes three years. Lots of people take for granted that they have to take out tons of student loans, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds again, to go to law school. Why? Because the end result, becoming a lawyer and having a lifetime of a career as a, um, as a lawyer is worth it, right? Like, I mean, at least that's what people think when they, I mean, (laughs) not that it's not worth it. You know what? Let's just leave it there. Whether, whether lawyers go into law school wanting to pursue law for the rest of their lives. That's a whole other conversation. I can say this because I'm married to a lawyer. Anyhow, and so that's, you know, those are professions that are taken seriously where people take it for granted that they have to invest lots of time and effort and money and they expect that it's going to be hard. Those are hard paths. Why are they hard paths? Because not everybody gets to do it because the rewards are so, are so rich, right? Like, they're considered to be very rewarding careers. Now, even when you look at careers like like businesses that aren't like law and medicine, for example, if you run a, a restaurant, right? Nobody expects that you should just start a restaurant and be immediately profitable without you investing a ton in upfront, right? Like 
brick and mortar businesses, including restaurants, it's very normal for those businesses to lose money for the first couple of years for those businesses to be, to be built on quite a bit of debt. Why do we have a different expectation for life coaching, right? Why do we expect our businesses to be profitable in the first year or even in the second year or even in the third year? And we, you know, throw a tantrum and feel terrible for ourselves and want to give up and declare the whole industry a hoax because you haven't made money in the first three years, right? This mindset literally does not make sense in any other field. This mindset it does not make it just the expectation of reward versus the effort that you put in versus the grueling learning that you put in versus the investment of sheer money that you put in, right? Like people, it's just unheard of in the actual world. So I've heard this analogy quite a number of times and I think it's so accurate. Like the melting point of of, of ice, right? Like the point at which ice turns into water, like it melts into water is 32 degrees, right? And it doesn't matter how hard you work to bring the temperature up to, I don't know, like 26 or 28 or even 31 or 31.7. If it's not 32, it's not going to melt. So much of what, what we do when we underestimate how much it takes, or we have a thought that it should not take that much, right? It's kind of like we're trying to fight the laws of physics. We're, we're saying, no, like I should melt at 26 degrees because I put so much hard work into, you know, raising the temperature to 26 degrees. I give up. Whereas like, no, it was never supposed to melt at 26 degrees. You have to get it all the way up to 32. So I think everybody who you see, who seems to succeed quickly, right? You can say, Simone, sure, you say that, you know, it takes all these years and, you know, restaurants run on, run on debt for the first few years. But what about, what about this person that I know who, who, you know, made, you know, 100K in their first year? What about this other person? You can, you can point to all these examples, but in every example that I know of like quote unquote fast success, like underneath, there's a lot more foundational, like building of other skills that are necessary for success in business, as well as in coaching that, that they had spent their life lives working on that you didn't get to see. There is no success that is free. None. There is none that isn't earned. And I have seen this over and over and over again. And as soon as you part with the idea that some people get it for, have it for free or they're luckier or it's, or it's easier for them, right? the sooner you can see with clarity what your work is so that you can get up to 32 degrees faster. I guarantee you it's going to be easier and faster for you to get to 32 degrees if you're being honest with yourself about, okay, so I thought the work that I put in so far is enough, but apparently it's not. I got to put in more. And because the law of physics is the law of physics, once I get to 32 degrees, it's guaranteed. Like it's going to start working. My only problem is that I haven't worked until it starts working. So that is all to say, don't quit before you've gotten the temperature up to 32 degrees. Figure out what you need to do to get it up to 32 degrees. It's worth it. And ask yourself, like, what makes it worth it? Even if it takes me longer than I wanted to, even if it takes me more upfront investment than I wanted to, right? Like if it's not worth it for you without the immediate material reward, 
I would really sit with that and do some soul searching because I don't know, like, I like that the, the process to become a doctor is so grueling because it's a lot of responsibility. It's a very heavy and, and important responsibility to be responsible for another person's life and death, right? That's the job that physicians have. And I think for life coaches, it's similar. It's a, a big, heavy, right? It's a significant responsibility to be entrusted with another person's mental health, right? With their hearts and sometimes even with their souls. Like we are, when a client sits down with us, they're trusting us with so much. Is it worth it to go through the process, whatever it takes to become somebody who truly has earned the, the, the competence, right? Who has truly earned the skills and earned the presence that, so that people regularly feel safe hiring you to hold that space for them. Like, I think if you don't think it's worth that, then I would really think about why you want to be a life coach in the first place, right? So don't treat it as a hobby that you're really passionate about that you are expecting it to make you money, like it should pay you. No, I don't think so. Like you want to treat it like a business, not just a, as a serious business, just like any other business that you want to invest in upfront. But you, I also encourage you to treat it like, like a sacred calling, right? A kind of mission that you want to live up to, that you want to work towards as long as it takes for as much of, as much of you, it's asking, right? It's like, yeah, I'll give it to you. It's worth it. This is my path, right? So those are the attitudes that I think a lot of people don't have or they don't have it consciously. And I think if they, did have that have it it would put them on a faster track to this kind of success all right so next question ashley asks how did you reach more clients ads organic what's your secret i am well known for having you know built my clientele having built my business with zero ads and even now i haven't started doing any ads i'm going to start this year that is my goal and <laughs> I'm like, like my marketing manager is always like tapping her feet, like waiting for me to get going. Cause I'm always procrastinating on getting started with ads. Like, ah, <laughs> it's like, doesn't feel fun to me at this point. Like at some point I'm going to figure out how to make it fun, <laughs> but that's my little mindset thing that I'm working on. Anyhow. So here is how I reached more clients without spending money on ads hundred percent organically. I shifted my mind from thinking I want to reach more clients to I want to be the person that people who are already in my orbit reach out to for help. Okay. I'm going to say that again. And I encourage you to do this. Like if you're thinking, how do I get more clients? How do I reach more people? Stop asking, how do I reach more people? Instead, start asking yourself, the people who are already around me, why aren't they reaching out to me right now for help? If they're having problems in their lives, if they're having, you know, painful emotions, if they're having habits that they want to change, if they want to whatever, why aren't you the person they're thinking of? Why aren't they already the people who know you, like your friends, your colleagues, your random cousins, friends, whatever people who are in your life, right? Like, why are you not the person that they like are like DMing or calling or texting me like, Hey, I know you're a life coach. I think you help people with this kind of thing. Can you help me? Like, why aren't people contacting you that way? Right? 
I think if you ask that question, it reveals far, far more. It's a far more productive question than how do I reach more people? Because most of the time you don't need to reach more people. You just have to be the person that people who are already around you, they want to reach out to because they, they can tell that they need your help and they can tell that you're the person to help them. It takes a shockingly small number of people to get your business jump started and be successful. If you're like most life coaches I know, including who I have been in the past, it takes no more than, I don't know, like a couple dozen people to get you to your first $100,000. And even if it's more than that, it's not that much more. Like it takes like way less than like a hundred people paying you money to get to your first $100,000 if you have what's similar to most people's business models, right? And I guarantee you every single one of this, those people that, that you need in order to hit your next income goal, they're already in your sphere. They're already in your orbit. They just don't know that you're the person that can help them. And you need to ask yourself why. Why don't they know that, right? And if your brain says <laughs> the answer is because you suck, that, that your brain is wrong. We're just going to like put that to the side. Your brain's going to say asshole things. And that's not true. It's like not helpful. Okay. Thank you for your input. Asshole brain. going to put that in the other room. Now you want to explore productive reasons. Like you want to think about, okay, but really, and also if your brain wants to say, oh, it's because people like don't need or want life coaching. That's also a bullshit reason. That's like a very convenient way. You don't have to take responsibility for letting people know that they can get help and that you are someone who can help them, right? So think about it. Like they might feel shy about seeking help. They might not know fully yet that you are a safe space for whatever they're going through. They might not know that you help with exactly the kind of thing that they're struggling with right now, right? And that that kind of thing happens a lot when you, in your marketing as a life coach, you talk about very abstract theoretical things. Like you talk about the importance of processing your emotions and the average person, like your like roommate from college from 20 years ago has no idea what the fuck that means. And even though they're totally struggling with their emotions and could use your help, they kind of like gloss over, they scroll past you because they don't understand what you're talking about. When you say like, I can help you process your emotions. Like they don't know what that means. Right. All they're thinking is like, oh, I just broke up with my partner and I'm heartbroken and I can't stop eating these cookies. What is she talking about processing emotions? I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or they might be thinking like, I don't know, they might have fears like life coaching. Like, I don't know what that's about. You know, is it similar to therapy? Is it, you know, what's, what's going to happen once I actually sit down with you? You know, some people might be interested to find out in a way they're excited to find out, but some other people might be feel a little bit shy and they might need some, they might need you to explain it a little bit. They might need you to put them at ease. They might really need that extra reinforcement that you are a safe space with them, right? Like think about how mundane these things are. It's like people have human brains. Like everybody's just like awkward <laughs> and everybody is just, they just like don't, it's, it's hard to trust that your problems will really be be safe with somebody that that you'll you you'll really be understood, right? And if you've been thinking in a, the same way in the same thought loops all of your life, which is what most of us humans do, 
then it's hard to know that someone has a way of dealing with it that's going to make it so much better, that's going to allow you to get to a much higher quality set of solutions, right? That's what we do in life coaching. We help people. We don't, It's not that we help people stop having problems, it's that we help people to solve their own problems and to process their own inner experiences in a, in a much more high quality, much more productive way, right? So they might not know anything about what any of that is. And why should they know? They're not coaches. We are. We got to make it clear for them. We got to make it accessible for them. We got to help them understand, right? Like everybody wants support. Everybody wants help. It's like, it's our job to make it easy for them to say yes to what we're offering. Okay. So where was I? Oh yeah. How do you reach more clients? So that's how. You think about that. (laughs) People are already around you. They want to hire you. Make it easy for them. All right. Rachel asks, when did you hire support? When did you start to hire support? Tips for knowing when it's the right person or the right job. Okay. So my general, I think slightly unpopular opinion on this is that people start hiring way too early. They start hiring out way too early in a lot of the cases as a way to get out of having to manage their minds. Okay. I think people take on like imaginary expectations of like, oh, I need to do this. I need to have this in place in order to succeed. And I can't do it by myself. So I need to hire somebody. So for example, they will hire somebody to do their social media. They will hire somebody to create a branding and a website for them. And the fact is that you don't need any of that, right? Like, here's my official stance. You do not need a podcast producer if you are working on your first 200K, okay? You don't need a VA if you have a one-on-one coaching practice. Like, I'm sorry, your business is just not that complicated. And if it is, that's a problem. Like we have to look at why it's more, you, if you, why you've made a business more complicated than it needs to be. Like you should be able to handle everything that happens in your business. You should be able to create solutions for anything that comes up in your mind. You should take it upon yourself to make your business lean and simple. If you have a one-on-one practice to do that, you don't, you don't need a VA. Like don't have problems that are created by your mind complicating things and then spend money to solve it. Do you know what I mean? I didn't hire my podcast producer until after I had made $500,000. Before that, I, you know, I've said this a lot, but like I recorded my podcast on my, on my iPhone and I just like DIY'd everything. I didn't have a VA until, I don't know, somewhere between $500,000 and a million dollars. And, and it's because I made things like you need to exercise the problem solving skills, you have to have the discipline to keep things simple, right? Don't create like logistical, like complexity that requires you to hire outside help. And I think all the, the brain muscle that you develop in order to keep your business simple, I think, and sort of like free of extra frills and bells and whistles, right? And to focus on the essentials, when you're first growing your business up to your first, you know, 100K, your first 500K even, up to your first million even, right? What you need to focus on is only one thing. 
And that is creating incredible client results and being really solid in your craft and really investing time and effort and, and your attention to earn your expertise. Like expertise isn't fucking created from fancy social media. Expertise isn't created from a podcast producer or a, or a VA or a branding. Expertise is created from you doing a really good job working with clients to help them get the results they want. That's what you need to make money. Now, there's a caveat, right? Let's say you're like a really busy mom and, or maybe you're not a mom, but you're just like really busy with other things and your life, you just like, it would help you to just throw money at the problem to, so that you can spend less of your time and you don't mind parting with the money. You're just like, yeah, I have lots of money. It doesn't matter. I can just like, I'm totally fine just throwing money at the problem to, to solve it so that I can be, I can have more of my own time, whatever. That's fine. Right. But if, you're in a place where your business is competing for resources, where every dollar is like precious, which, you know, that was the case for me a lot of the time. Don't use that money to solve problems that don't need to exist. Train your brain to solve those problems and then use that money where it's going to take you so much further, like your own coaching skill, like your ability to help your clients and uh, business coaching, of course. Okay. So, which I sort of think falls under the umbrella of you becoming more effective in your own brain. Next question. Katrina asks, when did you realize you had a million dollar idea or model for your biz? My simple answer is that there is no such thing as a million dollar idea. There is no such thing as a million dollar business model. I will say, however, that there is such a thing as a million dollar mindset. And I can see this in retrospect much more clearly. And here's what I mean by a million dollar mindset, right? Because I, I see so, actually, it makes me laugh when people say, oh, I totally, like this idea is totally a million dollar idea, or this business model is what's going to take me to a million dollars. No, so many people who are not you have the same idea or something very similar. So many people who are not you have the same thought of the same business model or something very similar. You're not unique. And that is not ever, at least by itself, what takes you to millions of dollars. What does distinguish people truly is a million dollar mindset, by which I mean your failure, excuse me, your failure tolerance. Okay. Your failure tolerance, meaning how much you are willing to fail and from how much failure you're willing to bounce back up from and learn from and move on from, right? People who don't have a million dollar mindset have a low failure tolerance. Another aspect of a million dollar mindset is when you are more focused on your inner growth and you're more focused on serving and being useful to others, then you are focused on immediate profit. Okay. And the kind of person who's more interested in growth will choose ultimately the more profitable path every time. And the person who's seeking immediate profit will sabotage themselves over and over and over again. Because only when you're interested in growth and service are you going to be willing to take the time and put in the investments to create something that has strong bones. And something, a uh, business structure, uh, your, your coaching skills, with when you have strong bones, 
a million dollar business just can grow out of that. When I see students of mine currently, right, they might have made their first, you know, I don't know, $70,000. They might have made their first $170,000. When I, there's a moment when I just know like, oh, that person is a hundred percent going to make a million dollars. Listen, like, I'm not God. Like, I don't know hundred percent for sure, but like, I have a moment inside of me where I'm like, oh yeah, that they've got it, right? Like from the way I see it, when I see that they've got it, it's when I see them, when I see their failure, failure tolerance grow past a certain level. Like they want to learn and grow more than they want to succeed. And they don't let failure, fear of failure stop them. They will take risks. They will do the thing. They will process all the t- terrible emotions that come with failure in order to get to the learning that's on the other side right? They will, they're willing to turn down money. They're willing to say no to opportunities because they know that it's not an integrity with the kind of business that they want to build. And to be sure it, nobody's born with this. I don't think I certainly wasn't. I had to kind of learn how to, I had to invest actually a lot of money and a lot of my own effort to learn how to inhabit a million dollar mindset. But there's a, comes a point where, where I'm like, oh, they have it. And their, the amount of money they may, they've made might be nowhere near a million dollars, but I just know, oh, that person's going to get there because it's the mindset that carries you. And it's that time when you stop hustling, when you stop being in a hurry, when you stop wanting the money milestones to validate you because you're way more turned on by by the, the inner growth, by by who you have to be, how much you have to learn in order to in order to be the person who carries that kind of success. Like when I see that switch, oh, no more hustle, no more chasing after the the dopamine hits of like more money, more clients, da, 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 that, that's a million dollar mindset. So that is my answer. Okay, Sheila asks, what is the number one tip for coaches who are also aiming for a million revenue? It's gonna be similar to what I said earlier, just do it. People really underestimate how little action they take. Every time a coach says, oh my gosh, I'm doing so much. I'm working so hard. Like, and they're complaining about it. When I actually talk to them, they're not actually doing so much. What they're actually doing is having a lot of drama. Taking a lot of action does not actually consume that much energy. What consumes a lot of energy is being super critical of yourself and overthinking everything and feeling a lot of self-pity about where you are, that is what consumes all of your energy. Manage your mind. I cannot overstate the importance of your mindset. Take lots of action and know that that is not what makes you exhausted. Your mind drama makes you exhausted. (laughs) Work hard and know how to use your energy by knowing how to manage your mind. Okay, Tammy asks, what thoughts gave you patience in the beginning when it was slow going? I think it was something like, I would rather die failing at this than succeeding in something else. Something like that, probably. It's like, what am I, what else am I going to do? Like, where, where else am I going to go to chase faster growth? Right. Like, and listen, like I, I was somebody who had a lot of other options. Like, (laughs) like if I wanted to, there's, there were so many other careers that I was doing before that I could go back to where I knew that I would be reasonably, you know, like I'd be reasonably successful 
having a reasonably good time, but also I knew that no, 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 no. Like being on this path is what I fought for. I'd rather suck at this. I'd rather it take 30 years to build this and not see immediate success than basically do anything else. And so that those thoughts gave me not patience exactly. Patience isn't the right word. Maybe like the resilience, the kind of like, yep, I'm in it for the long haul. That kind of commitment that almost rendered patience unnecessary because I wasn't like waiting for anything. I was like, this is it. I'm on the path I want it to be. Okay, Dusty says, she asks, what was something you had to let go of um, that you really didn't want to? Okay, it's just, this one is easy. What I had to let go of that I really didn't want to was trying to make everybody happy, making sure everyone likes me, and trying to make sure every, everybody thinks that I'm making good decisions. This was especially hard when it came to people I really respected, right? Like I really respect that person and I really want that person's respect. And if they were to lose their respect of me, like, could I live with that? And for so long, my whole identity and my sense of self was dependent on other people approving of me and other people whom I respect respecting me back that it was a really big leap in my mind to think, okay, I would really love for that person to like me and respect me. And I am willing to let go of that desire because ultimately I want to have my own back. Like I want to know what it's like to believe in myself and to, to stand by my decisions and to stand by who I am. Even when that person doesn't think I'm doing a good job, even when that person is like, I don't like you anymore, you're doing it wrong. Right. And that was the hardest thing to let go of trying to control that and to let, let go of trying to base, like make all the decisions correctly, quote unquote, in order to ensure that everybody that I like keeps liking me back. And once I let go of that, there was so much tremendous freedom and power on the other side. Next question. Jennifer asks, how much money do you put back into the business and how does that break down? between professional development, new, new software and systems, admin help, et cetera. Do you intentionally set a budget for reinvestment or is it in a case-by-case basis? Okay, so very simple answer. In the beginning, I was willing to put down 100% of the money that my business earned until I hit my first $100,000. Now, that commitment came from what I learned from my teacher, Brooke Casillo. She said, until you make your first 100K, reinvest every single penny back into your business. And I have to admit, when I first heard that, I was like, that sounds crazy. Why would I want to do that? If I work so hard to make money, I want to keep some of it. I don't want to reinvest it back all into my business. That sounds like super not fun. And I had a big tantrum and <laughs> I got over myself. And from the vantage point of where, I, of where I am now, I am so glad that she said that. I am so glad that I had my resistance and that I got over it because, my friends, she is right. When you don't want to part with your first 100K, when you don't want to reinvest all of it back into your business, it's because you are thinking in incredibly short-term, like you're thinking of it in, in, in a very short-term kind of way. You're so fixated on the 100K that you are not seeing the inevitable 300K, 500K, million dollars that are going to be so much easier for you to earn 
the more aggressively you, you invest, the more aggressively you commit to your own growth in the beginning. Like in the beginning, you should want to grow so much more. I mean, not in terms of money, but in terms of your skill, in terms of your entrepreneurship, that should be the focus, not keeping more of that money in your pocket. Right. So I think that if enough people really sat with the possibility, sat with the idea that the more aggressively I invest upfront, the more it feels like the money is leaving my pocket in the beginning, the more it feels like, Hey, when do I get to keep some of this money? The stronger the foundation you're building, that's going to help you scale faster. So I would say up until your first hundred K, my advice is exact same as my wise teacher of Brocustios, be willing to put down every single one of those pennies back into your, into your business. And by that, I mean a hundred percent spend it on your mind, professional development, on your coaching, on your business, not like hiring a VA. That's not what I mean. Not, I don't mean like spend on your website or spending on branding. That doesn't count. Spend it on your entrepreneur. Did I say that right? Entrepreneur brain spend it on your coaching brain. Like seriously, the more money you spend now on strengthening those, the faster you'll scale out of that first 100K. I will be so happy if at least one person takes this seriously and (laughs) invests and reaps the growth, like seriously. Okay, another Jennifer asks, when did you see growth plateaus and how do you identify if a plateau is good or necessary? to shore up systems, to give yourself a mental break, et cetera, and when a plateau is bad, like it's from fear, et cetera. So amazing question, and I'm going to make the answer very short, but it's, I mean it 100%. It's very profound. So if it, if it resonates with you, I invite you to really sit with it. The only thing that makes a plateau bad is when you are judging it. When you are judging a plateau as bad, you're resisting it. And when you're resisting it, you're not getting the fuel or the medicine that the plateau wants to offer you. That means every plateau either has fuel or medicine to offer you. That's its reason for existence. It's like, hey, hang out here so I can fuel you up or hang out here so I can give you some vital medicine you need. You need to find out which you stop being able to see it or be able to take advantage of it. The minute you start thinking, oh, this plateau is bad. Even if it is from fear, stop judging the fear. Stop thinking, oh, since this plateau is created from my lack of belief in fear, that's bad. No. And, and you're not seeing like, oh, so there's some, there's some really important alchemical process that's happening here that's critical for the business to come into greater coherence with the person that I'm becoming and for it to do even more powerful work in the world, right? So be curious, be lovingly curious about each plateau and don't judge it. Okay. Another one. (laughs) Dorothy asks, how do you do it when you don't have the money to invest in yourself, a training or a mastermind? I have a very simple answer to this. I don't have the money to invest is a thought. Now, I don't mean like you have to lie to yourself and say, I have money when you don't, right? Like if you have zero in your bank account or if you have 
negative because you have debt, like that's the reality. You don't have to guess at yourself and chant to yourself, I have lots of money, I have lots of money, when that's not true. However, it's completely optional to entertain the thought that I don't have money, right? I often make the analogy between this to like somebody who doesn't have a partner, like they're seeking a romantic partner, but they don't have one and they would like one, which is fine. And they keep going around telling themselves, I don't have a partner. I don't have a partner. I don't have a date on the calendar. No partner, no partner. Like it might be true that you don't have a partner, but to acknowledge it as true is one thing. And it's a completely different thing to go around like trying to solve for why you don't have a partner all the time and how you can get around the problem of not having a partner and just like, you know, like I don't have a partner is a mindset and one that probably isn't going to add that much value to your life, right? So I don't have money to invest in myself. That's a thought. It's an optional thought. It's a mindset of I don't have. That is not going to serve you. When you're not thinking, I don't have money to invest what, are, what, what would you be thinking of about instead? You'd be noticing all the things that you do have available to you. You'd be tapping into your own resourcefulness. You would be using what you have and, and coming up with more creative, ingenious ways to make progress with all that's available to you now. And you'll start to see how rich it is when you stop telling yourself, I don't have money to invest in myself. I hope that distinction is clear. It's not about lying to yourself. You can you can say, yep, I don't have money. That's the truth. That's the reality of my life right now. I don't have a partner. That's the truth. But it does not mean I have to live in the story of I don't have. Here's a great question from Amanda that I love. What thoughts helped you balance being confident and coachable? Now, I actually think that the thoughts, like I think what's necessary to be coachable is confidence because if you have a fragile ego and if you're easily, you know, triggered and you shut down, in other words, if you're not confident in yourself, you're not going to be very coachable. It's going to be hard for you to receive coaching if it requires you to process some uncomfortable emotions. So confidence and coachability, same thing. What thoughts help me create it? It's these two thoughts. I am on my own side and this person is on my side. When I hear coaching, that's hard to hear, right? And the only reason anything is hard to hear is because I have a thought about myself that isn't, you know, that's painful, right? And I'm going to say that again, because that was really important. The only reason anything is hard to hear is because it triggers a thought about yourself that you find painful. The thought that I use to be with myself when I'm triggered when I feel resistant is, okay, no matter what happens, no matter what emotions I'm experiencing, no matter what my brain is telling me that's mean, I'm on my own side. Okay, I could be doing this wrong. And even if I am, I'm on my own side. I could have just fucked this up. If, if Even if that's true, I'm on my side. Even if everybody hates me, I'm not going to hate myself because I'm on my own side, right? That thought created confidence and coachability. And especially when it's an instance of being coached by somebody else, hearing something that is difficult. I, it was always so, so useful to remind myself that my coach or this person who is offering me coaching 
that person is on my side too, right? So imagine somebody, a coach said something, I'm super triggered. I hate hearing it. I think it's the wrong kind of coaching. I'm having a lot of negative thoughts about myself and them and whatever. I mean, listen, if we are coaching, if we're being coached for long enough, this kind of moment is going to come up. (laughs) I press pause and I ask myself, how could it be true that this person is on my side, that this coaching is happening for me? And then I get curious about how that could be true. And it's not just coaching. It's like anything. Like, let's say you post something on social media, somebody makes a comment and you feel triggered or resistant, you feel angry or self-pitying, whatever. Like anytime we're interacting with other people, what creates that combination of confidence and receptivity and almost a kind of like kind of elegance and being able to interact with others, being gracious, like not, not just gracious towards the other person, but gracious towards yourself. It's these two thoughts. Hey, what would it be like for me to experience this? Knowing that I'm on my own side, I will never abandon me. And this other person, what if that this other person is also on my side? How could that be true? What would it be like to experience this with the assumption of love, with the assumption of, hey, we're allies, we're on the same team, we want similar things, right? We share values. Like the more you train your brain to experience not just whoever's in front of you, but experience the world as being allied to you, that is like tremendously rewarding. Like I highly recommend um, really thinking about that. And when you experience your coach as your ally, no matter what, you get a hundred million trillion times more out of the coaching (laughs) than if you were to experience them as being adversarial to you. Last question. Serena asks, what's the best part of making 2 million? The best part is being able to hire amazing people, pay them extremely well, and do fucking amazing things in the world, and let money flow through the world in ways that I want to see it flow through. Now, I'm only beginning to find out what that means to me, and it's so amazing, and I can't wait to be an even bigger channel for money to flow through so that I can play a small part in like seeing the money flow towards all the things that are going to create more well-being, more wholeness, more prosperity, more joy, more innovation, more all the good things in the world. All right, my friends, that's the end of my two-part series on how I made $2 million and everything that I have to say about it. I'll talk to you next week. Hey, if you want a shot of fresh inspiration and actionable tips to improve your marketing every single week in your inbox, you better get on my email list. Sign up to receive my free ebook called 20 Unsolicited Copy Tips. It's been known to get people to come out of the woodwork and ask to work with you. So get on that link in the show notes and I'll see you in your inbox next time.